Good morning. Our Bible reading today is on page 832 in the Church Bibles, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will give great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be your, a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So he hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds, what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Well, welcome. Uh, if we haven't met, uh, from my side as well, my name is Reich. Um, Say hello if you can after the service, um, and I have the privilege to open up God's word for us today. But before we do that, let's let's come to God in prayer and ask for His help. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for Your word. We thank you that we can ponder on it and that You speak to us. And even though we have heard this passage, uh, most of us, uh, for a number of times already. I pray, Father, that you would stir up our hearts and show us a fresh view on this passage. Show us anew who we see in this manger. And, Father, I pray you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill this room with your glory. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The birthday of the God Augustus 
was the beginning of the good news for the world that came through him. That doesn't sound right, does it? But that's exactly what you can read on a stone tablet from the time of Jesus' birth. It's an inscription that is preserved for us. When you go to Germany at the moment, you can see it in the museum. Maybe Steve Blanco is looking at it now. I don't know. But let me read it to you again. The birth of the God Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came through him. Wow. That sounds as if someone replaced the name Christ with Augustus. Um, it's, but I think it could also very well be the slogan of one of our celebrities today, couldn't it? And if I'm mean, I would say Augustus sounds a bit like Santa Claus here. It's a, it's a bit of like he's stealing Christmas here. But no, it's the same Caesar Augustus that Luke is talking about in his gospel. And I think this quote, quotes like these, um, they are put there for a reason by Luke, precisely because um, he wants to show us a contrast. Um, I think he could just left Augustus out, and the story would be still accurate. But Luke didn't, because he knew that the people of his time, they were honoring Augustus as a god. I mean, Augustus was a great emperor. He was one of the greatest emperors. You have to give him that because he brought stability and peace to the Roman Empire that lasted even longer, I mean, even after his death. We call this the Pax Romana. But the simple, the, the people, um, the people in general, they worshipped him as a god. He was an idol for them. People erected uh, shrines to him with inscriptions like these, but also with, uh, by saying, He's the savior of the whole world. But Luke shows us the real savior of our world, a baby in a manger. Luke shows us that Christ is at the heart of Christmas. How is he doing it? Well, he gives us the setting, a sermon, a hymn, and a response um, at this first Christmas. It's almost like a Christmas service. All the elements are there. And in the middle of all this is Christ, the baby in the manger. In fact, it comes up three times in this passage. It's in the setting, in the sermon, and in their responses. You see, the baby in the manger, God's word about him as well, they are the centerpiece of this first Christmas scene. Everything evolves around him. So let me show you today why this is the case, and also why it's important for us to keep Christ at the heart of Christmas. Let's have a look first at the scene. Um, in the opening verses, um, Luke gives us an historic account. He makes clear that we understand what he's about to say really happened. It's not a fairy tale. It doesn't start with once upon a time in a far, far land. Well, that's not how it starts. It's a real event in history, and it starts like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Luke is talking about real people, real places, 
These are facts that his readers could go and check out. You know, when this account was written, Luke's readers, they could just go and see the register in Bethlehem. They could go and see if Mary and Joseph really followed the decree of Augustus. They could go and check out if Joseph was really from the lineage of David. And if he made his way to Bethlehem, to the hometown of David, to register for tax purposes. These are facts that Luke carefully puts for us on the table because he wants us to read this text with real people in our minds. And you know, because I'm a bit weird, I looked it up, actually. I looked it up, and when you look up um, this way that Joseph and Mary made from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they actually journeyed for about 150 kilometers. And they had an elevation gain of 800 meters because Bethlehem is on a steep hill. Imagine that, a highly pregnant woman making her journey and the way up there. What a demanding and exhausting journey that must have been. And when they got there finally in Bethlehem, there was no room left for them. All the known world was on the move at that time. So Bethlehem was packed with people from all over the Roman Empire. And when they knocked on the door of a lodging place, they got rejected. They had to seek shelter with animals, probably in a stable or cave, we are not told. But what we know is it wasn't a pleasant place. No bats, probably full of dirt, and even animal dung. It was stinking. And in this, of all places, in the lowliest of lowly places, the greatest thing that ever happened in this world took place. God breaks into our world. Christ is born. In such a simple, humiliating, and poor setting. I think it's remarkable because... When you read it, it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's one of the most important phrases in the entire Bible. But if you're not careful, you can easily skip over it, can't you? It's just half a sentence, and Luke explains what happens here. In fact, Christ's birth seems so ordinary that we almost have to ask ourselves, why is that? Wasn't the conception of the Virgin Mary very different, announced by angels, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit? That's what we read in chapter 1, isn't it? It's full of supernatural events. But now, at least for the moment, the setting of this birth is so ordinary. It will change. But for now, let's pause here for a moment. Because maybe you're sitting here today and you have a problem with the virgin birth, with miracles. Or maybe you accept all that, but you know people who don't. I mean, when I became a Christian first, I remember the first words of my dad when I told him about it. I went to him and um, he said to me, oh, you're a Christian now. Ah, oh, come on. You can't believe in this virgin birth. And in all these miracles and all the nonsense, you can't do that. And well, all I could say in that moment was, 
I do. That was my response. I think today I would probably answer him differently. I think I would probably say something along the lines of what David Robertson says. Hear this. He says, if finite human beings like us can manufacture a situation where a woman can become pregnant without the necessity of sexual intercourse, why should we consider it impossible for Almighty God to do so? In fact, think about it. If God is a supernatural being, wouldn't you expect him to break into this world in a supernatural way? Wouldn't you expect him to come into and leave this world accompanied by miracles? And wouldn't you expect us to stand there scratching our heads in awe and wonder when the supernatural meets the natural That's what happened when Christ came. Suddenly there were angels, there were miracles, and when he left this world, went back to heaven, the same thing happened. But you know what's more striking, even more striking? I find is Jesus tells us, if you want to follow him there, the same needs to happen to you. What did he say to Nicodemus? Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, Born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, we too need a miraculous birth. We too need to be overshadowed. If you want to follow Christ, you need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. But let's come back to Mary. So her conception was truly miraculous. True. But Christ's birth... The birth itself seems so very ordinary. And I think Luke wants to show us this, that Christ is truly one of us. When Christ opened his eyes, he was naked and helpless. He was truly human, a baby in the manger, a baby that needed to be fed and cared for, a baby that cried. You know, I, I don't know why we sing Silent Night, Because the first thing that I remember of Josiah's birth, it was definitely not a silent night. It was full of blood, pain, and crying. And even the days after that, I mean, who would imagine that a newborn needs 12 nappies a day? I mean, that's two every hour. Christine and I, we had to do a roster for that. And you know, Jesus wasn't a baby with a halo around him. He was a real baby, a true human being. And they didn't have nappies at that time, but let's not go there. But that's the setting. This is the lowly state that Jesus came into. The king of glory laid in a manger in a feeding trough of animals. That's his first throne that he chose. That's how humble he was. What a stark contrast that is compared to this arrogant Caesar Augustus. But it also tells us something about the people surrounding this first Christmas scene, the people who rejected a highly pregnant woman at the door, the people who in their busyness had no room for this special guest in the womb. And how similar is that to today? And we don't have to look at the world for that. I mean, we know that the world is mocking Christ. We know that the world has taken Christ out of Christmas a long time ago. 
We all know that. But what about us? What about you? Think about Christmas and the time leading up to it now. How busy we all are. Getting all the shopping done, the presents ready, the perfect decorations sorted, the invitations out to the people. And how much time goes into the prep for lunches and dinners? Thank God I have Christine. I would be hopeless with all that. But you see, the first Christmas wasn't perfect at all. It wasn't neat and clean. But if we want to get it right and perfect all the time, how much room is left for Christ? Just enough to hear about him in a hopefully short sermon on Christmas morning? Just enough to package the king of glory in a little time slot, like a little manger that fits with our schedule? Let me ask you, is Christ at the heart of your Christmas? He's, is he the most important guest on your guest list? Because, you see, without Christ, there is no Christmas. Just have a look and see how central Christ was in this first Christmas sermon. Luke changes the scene now. We suddenly find ourselves in the fields with some shepherds at night. It's dark. Now it's actually quiet. A silent night. Apart from some bleeding sheep in the background, you can hear nothing. The shepherds can see the stars. But then, boom! Suddenly, without any warning, there stands the angel of the Lord glaring in all his might right next to the shepherds. And if that was not enough, the glory of the Lord is flashing like a constant lightning around them. Like the sun has suddenly risen. There's no darkness anymore. Instead, there's this all-exposing and blinding light. The glory of God has appeared. Here we find now the balance between this ordinary birth and what happens now. The supernatural meets the natural again. In fact, the extraordinary meets the ordinary. The glory of the Lord and the angel, they do not appear in the temple to the priests or to Caesar Augustus, but to some ordinary shepherds in the field, a class of people that was despised, lowly, outcasts even. And these shepherds, they are now terrified, seized with fear. And the Greek is emphatic here. And I totally get it. They are standing in the presence of the glory of God, of a holy God. Everything is exposed in this moment. It's like getting an instant CT done on your entire body and soul and all these dark spots on you, all these ugly spots of our sins, they are suddenly exposed. But at this very moment of sheer terror and probably shame, the mighty angel starts the first Christmas sermon with these words. Don't be afraid. How comforting must have that been to the shepherds. They don't just, they, they don't get judgment, they get mercy. They get comfort and joy. But why is that? Well, listen to the rest of this Christmas sermon. And I like the ESV translation here because it's a bit more uh, literal. Listen to this. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, 
I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, God's people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. That's it. That's the first Christmas sermon. That's the gospel. This baby is Christ the Lord, God himself who took on flesh, a savior on a rescue mission. That's the best thing you can hear. That's the best thing anyone can hear who stands in the presence of God, exposed with all his sins, that there is a savior, that there is mercy and grace. Do you know anything about that Savior? Do you know that you need this Savior today? Max um, Lucado once said, If our greatest need had been information, God would have given us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have given us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was the forgiveness of sins. And that's why God sent us a Savior. It's even in his name, Jesus, which means the Lord or God is salvation. That's the name at which every knee will bow. That's the only name in which we can find salvation. I don't know about you, but um, I don't know how you feel, but when, when you see one of these um, yellow rescue helicopters in the sky, I always get mixed feelings about that. The thing is, um, this rescue helicopter is only called in a life or death situation. So I feel sad and bad for that person that is in a really bad situation. But then on the other hand, I think actually... The rescue helicopter is a great sign because it means that whoever needs it will get the best possible help. And Jesus is like this rescue helicopter. But I want you to notice something. And this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say today. And it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or a non-Christian. You're sitting here today. But you need to hear this. This rescue helicopter, Jesus, he came for you personally. The angel said, unto you is born a savior. That was a personal message for each individual shepherd. And this is the same today to you here in this building in Kenmore. A savior has been born. And this Savior left his glorious place in heaven and came down into a dirty, stinking feeding trough for you. Imagine what change that must have been for Christ, laying aside his glory. And right from the beginning, he experienced what? Our rejection. But that was only the beginning. His way of humiliation leads him to his death. This baby came to die as a man on the cross, to die for your sins, to save you from the present and future wrath of God. 
Bringing peace, yes, but not among man, but first and foremost between you and God. That's what the angels are singing about. And after three days, he was raised from the dead back to glory. And from there, from his glorious throne in heaven, Christ is saying this Christmas to you, the same thing that was said to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. But believe. Believe in me as your Lord, God, and Savior. Hear my voice. Come to me, and I will give you rest, forgiveness, peace with God, everlasting life and joy. That's the good news. That's the heart of Christmas, Christ at the heart of Christmas. And what better response can there be but to sing praises, to give glory to God? And that's exactly what happens next. Suddenly, there's an army of angels. That's another boom moment. Thousands of angels singing with uh, the first Christmas hymn. Singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What a beautiful and overwhelming choir that must have been. The angels are now singing because they understood the gospel. They are without sin. They don't need a savior. They have been with God from the beginning. They have seen the beauty of God's creation. But they also saw humans in their sinfulness and how they fell and turned away from God. How the world was plunged into darkness. But now, there's light. The glory of God has returned in the person of Christ. These angels see the solution to the problem we have. God himself comes down to fix our problem of sin. And they marvel at it. They marvel at the baby in the manger. The savior of the world, Christ the Lord. You remember Caesar Augustus and his inscription? He brought peace to the Roman Empire. An astonishing 200 years. But what is that compared with the peace with God in Christ that we have, which lasts forever? Where is Caesar Augustus and his arrogant inscription now? No one is celebrating Augustus anymore. But we still celebrate the baby in the manger. And the angels are still singing this hymn in heaven. And they are waiting for us to join them. And in fact, we can now already sing with them before the throne of God. My name is graven, not on an arrogant stone tablet, but my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's what we sing now. You know what happens every time I, I give Josiah a cracker or a sweet? Two things, actually. Two things happen. The first thing I get is a cheeky smile from him. But then, always, always, he turns around and he goes to Christine, to his mom, and he shows this cracker. He shows this cracker and he spreads the good news. He spreads, he's spreading his joy and all about it. 
about what he just has received. And that's exactly what the shepherds are doing. I mean, look at them. Like little children, they say, let's go, let's see. And then they run in a hurry to get to Christ. Their response to God's word, probably like Josiah's to the cracker, I want more. (laughs) They want more. They want to learn more about Jesus. They want to see this baby. And they find the baby in the manger in this lowly state, and they see him exactly as the angel promised, but are not put off by the contrast, the supernatural and then the natural again. A savior, their Lord in humility and humiliation, sorry, they, they, don't, they don't get put off by that. Instead, they believe God's word. And then they share the gospel because it changed them. It filled them with joy. And all those who hear this gospel, and I think Luke is saying more than we think. I think, I think this is not just Mary and Joseph anymore. I think this is more. Because remember, Bethlehem was packed with people. But all those who hear, they are astonished. They marvel at this revelation of God's word. Like the angels who marvel in heaven when they look into these things. You see, fear has been replaced by joy. Darkness by light. There is now marvel, astonishment, and praises. So to close, let me ask you this. When was the last time you marveled at God's word? You might have heard this Christmas message a hundred times before. But do you still marvel at it? Does it still excite you to know that you have a personal Savior who saved you from God's wrath and from your sins? Do you treasure this message up in your heart as Mary did? Can I encourage you today when you go home, take some time off. Just sit down for a moment. Prepare yourself for Christmas. Be still and take a deep breath. Read the passage if you want. Read it again and then ponder on this Christmas message. See and taste that the Lord is good and experience how Christ, your Savior, is at the heart of Christmas. Meditate on it. But don't make it too complicated. Just ask yourself three little questions, three simple questions. What do I learn about him? What do I learn about myself? And how does it change my life in response to him? But whether you do that or not, my prayer is that we all leave this place today changed by God's Spirit, changed and filled with a fresh understanding of who our Savior is, how far he came down for you and me, so that we may rise with him in glory, and that there is no Christmas without Christ. How good would it be if we leave church this morning like the shepherds did? A bit like little children with a renewed wonder and awe in our eyes, filled with joy, our hearts strangely warmed, praising God and giving glory to him alone. That would normally be the end of the sermon, and I wanted to end it here, but there's a little P.S. Because if you think now, I can't do this, right, because I haven't seen Christ in the manger or the angels. 
like the shepherds did. Let me say to you one last thing. You actually have more than the shepherds had. They only saw the baby in the manger because you have heard him today. You have had a personal encounter with him in his word. And he is in the midst of us. And therefore, let me close this sermon with these words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Which is, um, this is also my prayer for all of us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an unspeakable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May all the glory be to him alone. Amen.